Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. We are in Lexington, Kentucky for the Christian Products Expo and Paul Galmer and his wife just walked by. That's the interview we're gonna listen to that I did yesterday. Awesome. Paul is a guy who is very open about the fact that he suffers from mental illness, bipolar, and he said more bipolar two. This is something I didn't know. Bipolar two is referencing more the depressive side and bipolar one is referencing more of the manic side. Okay. He's more bipo- bipolar two depressive and lived in that, kind of in the shadows as a Christian for a while, ashamed. Sure. Uh, but has been outspoken about it and has written about it now because he's seeing how many other people are struggling with mental illness or mental health and he wants his story to be an encouragement to them. And when you listen to this interview, I think people are going to be refreshed by just the transparency, the authenticity, yeah. the vulnerability. Well, I think I think I'm I'm really encouraged by um, the openness that that we seem to as a as a culture and especially within the Christian community that we seem to have um, moving towards a more openness uh, with regard to mental illness. Just because um, you know, for a long time, physical disabilities, you know, and overcoming physical disabilities. Uh, that's been out for a long time, um, and mental illness is sort of that's keep it hush hush. Um, but with this interview, and then uh, and then one that we're going to publish right after, um, shed some light on that. And I think that that's important because there's a lot of people that uh, that have to deal with it either through themselves or through a loved one. Um, and and we've spoken with a few other people here at this uh, this expo. Um, in addition to these interviews, one of the things we talked about is just how I think Satan loves to keep people in his grip around the area of mental health or mental illness. And one of the ways he does that is by keeping them quiet. Right. Be ashamed. Don't mm-hmm. talk about it. Keep it hidden. Feel guilty. Feel like you don't measure up. And when you can open up and talk about that openly, especially in the context of the gospel and biblical truth, man, a lot of Satan's stronghold on a person's life who suffers in that way is lost. And so Paul and his wife, Janine, I believe, that my one regret about the interview, we should have Janine on there with us because she was sitting next to him. And, you know, the spouse of somebody who suffers with this bears a burden sure. of, of their own. And uh, Janine and has something to contribute, I think, to probably the conversation, to our listeners. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, you guys are going to love this, and uh, it'll reference Paul's book, which you can pick up. And Paul, enjoyed our time together. Janine, great to meet you. And to our audience, enjoy the interview, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. I am at the, the Christian Products Expo in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm with Paul Gomer from Illinois. You're only about three or four hours from where I live. Yeah, not too far. So it's good to be with a fellow Midwesterner here. <laughs> um, Paul, you've written a book. Say the title of it. A Walk with the Light in the Shadows. A Walk with the Light in the Shadows. And you just openly talk about mental health issues. You personally suffer with bipolar. I do. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But before we get to that, I just want to hear a little bit of your story. Um, you said that uh, you were listening to our podcast because you knew you were going to be coming on here. And one of the interviews that had an impact on you was the Joshua Broom interview. And you reached out to him and you just told me before we hit record here, you said, I thought I had a messed up past, but that guy had a messed up past. So if you don't mind diving into the deep end right away, Tell us about what you called your messed up past. Yeah, I'll do that. I actually was born in a non-Christian household, so we were um, 
you know, that stereotypical family that goes to church on Easter and Christmas, that's your, your two things. Um, never really went to church at all. Really didn't have any boundaries as I got older. Um, a little bit of boundaries when I was younger, but as I got older, my parents, they kind of liked to go out on the weekends and they had a, a club of people they hung around with that were called the, uh, 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 the Diggers Club and they just kind of take off and go. Well, that left us home alone. We, we pretty much had the run of the- Who's the us? Uh, my sisters and myself. So how many and where are you at in the birth order? And- uh, I am the youngest and I have two older sisters. Okay. Um, one of my sisters I lost to alcoholism in 2013. Kind of goes to the story that I have as well. Um, w- having that freedom, even from eighth grade on, uh, I got together with a bunch of friends that were doing things that probably shouldn't have been doing, and I got heavy into to alcohol and drugs. Um, at 15 years old, I was downstairs in the basement of my high school in between classes smoking pot and taking a shot of Jack Daniels. Um, that was how I was coping through life at that point but not having any boundaries. My parents had no idea what was going on because they were coming home a little tipsy and they, they passed out from their drink. And so it was easy for, enough for me to walk into the house and, and be pretty hammered and go out and do the same thing the next day. So, so we've got your wife, Janine, here. She is. And were you raised in Canton, Illinois? I was raised in Hannah City, Illinois, okay. which is um, about 25 miles from Canton. Um, we actually have a horrible claim to fame yesterday where we had a airplane went down um, two people were killed in yesterday yesterday in Hannah City Wow uh, did you been all over the national news did so you know like, them at all or no 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 they were from I want to say New Mexico husband and wife out of New Mexico Wow yeah and so are you your your is your wife from there or where did you cross paths no my wife is from Chillicothe Illinois which is over off of the Illinois River um, we cross paths kind of a cute story but um, I was bartending at the age of 20 at a bowling alley, which in 21, you have to be 21 to do that, but at the age of 20, bartending, and I was helping a buddy out that owned the bowling alley, and she and her family were bowling. Um, I don't know if I want to go too deep into how this, but anyway, <laughs> let's say that we uh, met uh, in a very strange way, um, and then the next time I was in a bowling league, that next Thursday night, I was bowling, and she was in a league, she was on the other end. She was trying to get my attention. I had no idea who she was. Um, and then she had to remind me of exactly what happened. And I said, oh, okay, now I got it. So it's been been love since then. So that was 1987, I think, 1987. It says you're married for 33 years. Yeah, correct. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. So uh, just for our listeners, this isn't on video. This is only audio. But as I look across at Paul, he reminds me of Woody Harrelson in The Hunger Games. I mean, <laughs> with the headphones, I, wow. I mean, maybe without the glasses and the headphones, you would look different. But I mean, this is like, isn't his name Hamich? Did you Hamich, ever watch yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Hamich yeah. right here. He's got a little <laughs> five o'clock shadow going and uh, I love it. Oh, I've been a, I, somebody told me I look like Tommy Lee Jones too. I wasn't real flattered about that, but okay. We'll Tommy Lee it. Jones' face is way more pitted than yours. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Whatever. We'll, we'll go with Hamish. Okay, that's good. So, uh, so a little bit more of your story. You're kind of no boundaries, no whatever. Your parents wasn't a Christian home. Yes. And so how did you get to a place where you put your faith in Christ? Well, I... Uh, was that much later? Or? It is. It's quite a bit later. So I, I continued my drunken and high stupor all the way till I was 20 years old. There were some, some things that happened during that period of time that, um, you know, as you become a Christian, you're like, will God ever forgive me for this? Um, a lot of womanizing, just a lot of... Uh, taking advantage of people um, and I just never knew if I was going to be forgiven for something like that so uh, when I met Janine we uh, didn't go to church immediately she was raised in a Christian home she went to church went to the different Bible camps and things like that so so I, what the heck was she doing with you I know that's what I was trying to figure out <laughs> I'm like how did this ever happen but, Janine's sitting right over here laughing yeah, with me so yeah. I mean if anyone's concerned yeah yeah no I, I wondered the same thing I definitely married up let me tell you so that's the um, goal I, right, I did right, too right yeah so I went through this process or we went through this process in our marriage where we were trying to kind of find our footing and um, we had a child early on right after we got married um, and then just trying to find our footing and then that was living in Hannah City and then Travoli, which is another small town next to Hannah City. Then we wanted to kind of move our kids to a bigger, bigger I say, but it's 15,000 people, city of Canton, um, to get our kids more involved in sports and things like that. 
Well, when we moved there, our realtor was a Christian and went to Evangelical Free Church in Canton, which is our home church, and she invited us to go to church. Cool. There. Um, so we did, and it was I, I pushed all the way. I didn't really want to go. I was afraid the walls would come down around me as I walked in the front door. Um, but it wasn't too long after that that I was sitting in, in uh, uh, listening to Pastor Matt Barr. Or, did I say Matt Barr? Pastor Mike Barr. Let's go there. And then uh, Reverend Paul Williamson, who's an old-time reverend who'd been doing it for 40 years, a friend of Pastor Barr's. And I came to Christ that day. It was in November of 2000. Wow. Um, and then from that day, I just thought it was going to be roses and rainbows the rest of the so way. So if I'm doing the math right, you've been married about 11 years by then. Yes. 33 minus 22, 11. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You thought it was going to be roses and rainbows? I thought it was going to be roses and rainbows. As a matter of fact, I went to a new Christians class, or we did. She didn't need to go, but I did for sure. Uh, went to a new Christians class, and the, the people that taught that class were born Christians. They were born in a Christian household. And in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think those types of classes should be taught by people that were not raised in a Christian household because they, you know, knew, knowing God from early on, um, they were trying to tell me that, you know, it was, you just pray and pray and pray and your life is roses and rainbows moving forward. Wow. It's just not the way it is. No. It's just not the case at all. Um, and I found that later as I started to struggle with mental illness. So talk about struggle with mental illness. Is that something that came on or you just started to identify it? It had always been there. I, there's so much being said these days about mental health and mental illness and I just never know what to take seriously and what not to, because some of it, frankly, is being used for political reasons yes. to get us focused on this or that or distracted from this or that. Yeah. So tell me your mental health story. Yeah, so um, I would say at least 10 years prior to my diagnosis, I started to have just, I, I was anxious. I, I got angry at the snap of the fingers, um, uh, starting having weird dreams, wasn't sleeping well. Um, anger issues were not taken out of my family, but there was a door or two that I took it out on. Um, found myself uh, traveling to and from work, and during that travel, I was trying to figure out if it, the best thing for me to do is to drive right through the bridge uh, uh, standard at that time. Would it be better just to hit that and be done? Was just, there like some pressing issue, or was it just a general state of mind? Yeah, so I, one thing I talk about when I do my church talks or, or talking to folks downstairs here was there's a difference between mental health and mental illness in my opinion okay mental health is typically situational so i've gone through a divorce i've lost my job i can't pay my bills this month a lot of times that can work itself out not to say that i still couldn't use professional intervention but a lot of times if those situations get better your depression your anxiety tend to go down mental illness is a chemical imbalance mm. so Early on, you know, I didn't really have anything to be depressed about. We had a great marriage, we had great kids, I uh, had a great job. So I it was just hard for me to reconcile that. Plus being the man of the house, I couldn't have that weakness of any kind. I had to continue to be the man in the house. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't show that at all. Um, later on, I figured out uh, chemically there was something wrong. Um, so I would say when I started to have suicidal ideologies more, Later and uh, closer to my diagnosis, I knew I needed to get help and there was something different. And so this just kind of came up in the middle of your life. It did. It did. Now I can maybe tie it back to my teenage years and my coping with the alcohol, coping with the drugs. I could try to tie it back there. I also feel like my dad may have been undiagnosed bipolar. Um, he got to the point where he didn't want to show up for any of the kids' events. He didn't want to come to their birthday parties. He was making excuses he didn't feel well. Well, come to find out, I started doing that as well. Started making excuses for not wanting to go to functions, um, doing things with my teammates, workers, after hours. I would, I would say, you know, I just not feel the greatest. So I could probably tie it back that maybe he was undiagnosed and maybe this is a hereditary thing. But for me to really come forward with there's a true issue when I was thinking about suicide all the time, I knew that was probably more chemically imbalanced than it was situational. So I, I know very little about bipolar or mental illness. How much of it is hereditary? I mean, it can be. And that, you know, I, I'm not trying to excuse away, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to 
ration, rationalize in my own mind where it could have come from. Mm-hmm. Um, my doctors and therapists that I've been to have said, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazier trying, trying to, to figure, figure it out. It out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I sit and think through these things, I did see a lot of tendencies that my dad had that I was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. We would have a family Thanksgiving group, and I would make it an hour maybe, and then I had to go in the bedroom and get away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that sometimes. Yeah. It's, but it's, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I still do too, but for different reasons. But, um, back then, it was just more of an escape. I had to get out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, does bipolar look different for everybody, or is there a basic anatomy that's the same? Or yeah, what? there's bipolar one and bipolar two. Bipolar one, have you ever heard of manic depressive? Yeah. Okay, so this is the new uh, buzzword for manic depressive. So bipolar one is more um, the manic side. So you're up cleaning the house, you're um, constantly going, your mind won't shut off. When you talk to somebody, it's just you're rattling on. There's no sense to what you say. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that mania that takes place. I've known a couple people that have had that, and that's very pronounced or very identifiable. Yes, yes. And that can be just as dangerous as bipolar 2, which is more of the depressive side, where you have these thoughts of hopelessness and that you're not, you're not worth anything, um, that you, um, you'd be better off not being in this world anymore. Mm -hmm. And so being a Christian and starting to have these thoughts, I got really confused. Mm. Again, I'm not blaming anybody in the new Christians class, but that's really what I thought it was going to be. And up until I started having some of these thoughts, it was good. Good family, good job. Um, Life was good. Never really struggling about anything. It it wasn't an instant onset, but slowly over the next few months, it started to get worse and worse. So this is a chemical thing. Yes. And it's more the depressive side. Correct. And so um, I kind of already asked this, but I'm still curious, like, how does it just come up out of nowhere? Like, like, could I, could I all of a sudden start having these symptoms and. Yeah, I I think you could. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, like, I'm thinking of like the brain science. Yes. You know what I mean? Like what, what changes? Is it like the aging process and things work differently and yeah. so there's more of this chemical and less of this one or your brain stops producing this or yeah and there's actually medication that i'm on this left brain right brain so the medication i take in the morning kind of controls it's one of them's an actual anti-seizure because your neurons in your brain start misfiring and whether that comes on because of um, i've actually read a study on someone that was in a car accident normal up until the car accident had a, a brain injury of some kind the neurons got out of balance and then they started to have symptomatic bipolar. Um, and so, I mean, anything like that can really trigger it. I've never really dove into um, or had a discussion with my therapist or anybody about why me all of a sudden. Um, you know, that was my struggle with God at mm-hmm. first was, wow, I never really blamed God, but I, I was one of those why me people. Mm-hmm. Uh, just couldn't figure out here I am committed my life to him, and then all of a sudden the neurons start misfiring, and mm-hmm. I have to be on medication to try to keep those under control. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how does that, because I've looked at situations, I've got a college buddy who actually committed suicide a couple years ago who was displaying symptoms of bipolar way back when we were in college. But we were in college. I mean, we just thought he was weird or just crazy. And he was just kind of off the wall and he was t- fun to be around. I get that. And up all night and it was just kind of crazy. And he was like the big man on campus and everyone, and we were all part of this big college ministry thing. So we didn't have the wherewithal to, we just loved being with Chad. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Life of the party type guy. Yep. Um, but then after college, things kind of started to spiral for him. And then, I mean, sadly, just a couple of years ago during COVID, I mean, COVID messed him up bad oh, because yeah. he was out of a routine. His job at the school, you know, they closed the school. And so he was had a ton of time on his hands and, uh, and killed himself. And so, but, but I always thought like, man, that must be difficult for like his wife. Obviously that he killed himself, but even before that and for the years that they were married because... They had a perfect family. Well, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it think. seemed like. Yep. And she was everything you would want a wife to be. At least that's what it looked like from us. And his kids were like, 
beautiful kids who were involved in their small town. And so you just go, what was he unhappy with? Yeah. And, and so they bear the burden of what aren't we doing right that is causing him to be this way? So let me, let me kind of give you the, um, I talk to people when I'm talking about this with churches, especially, you have to understand that normal day-to-day activities for most people, you walk through on a 50% playing field. You got 50% of logic and 50% emotions. People that have a, a chemical balance, my goodness, a chemical imbalance in their brain, that emotion side gets elevated. And that maybe for no reason, but I like to give the example of, let's say that you're driving down the street and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off. Well, until that happens, I'm sure you're happy-go-lucky, singing to a song on the radio, life is good. As soon as that person cuts you off and about wrecks your car, what happens? Your emotions go through the window. You honk the horn at them, you may say something you shouldn't have, whatever the case is. Well, imagine someone living with a mental disorder that that's their life every single day. The emotions are heightened, whether you're manic, as you can see those emotions, I gotta get this done, I gotta get this done, you know, my family's blah, blah, blah. Or you're depressive, you're not thinking in a right mind when you have these chemical imbalances. So we don't work on the same logic playing field, logic emotion playing field that most people do. We have to find a way to bring that emotion level back down to a normal, manageable level. I, I attribute that to prayer, and I also attribute it to um, good doctors. I think God put these doctors and made them smart enough to understand the medication that they had to create to help people that, that deal with mental illness like that. Interesting. So uh, what was it like as you started to discover this and started to, did, did you immediately like kind of go public with it? No. Because one of the things that's been interesting for me to watch in the sphere of mental health and mental illness, it's a lot more acceptable to talk about now you know back in the day you didn't talk about this stuff yeah and uh talk about that a little bit yeah the strength of the man of the household you know that I, I use that as an example quite a bit i was the man of the household i couldn't let my wife see me struggle i couldn't let my kids see me struggle um so as i started to have this diagnosis or got this diagnosis it was embarrassing i didn't mm -hmm. want people to know about it. i didn't want people to think differently about me mm -hmm. um, i didn't want my kids to see me as weak um, so it was very difficult at the very beginning to have these discussions in my mind i'll be on medication for a couple of months and life will be good after that mm -hmm. and come to find out that's not the case i'm going to be on medication the rest of my life mm -hmm. but back then that was my hope so i didn't have to go out in public and and uh, people look at me funny if they find out. Or I asked my wife to just kind of keep it quiet, internal, um, you know, eyes only type of stuff to, to make sure that that discussion doesn't take place. It wasn't until I started to journal my journey where I felt like I needed to come out and be a better voice about what's going on. So what did that look like when you started to come out? And, and kind of open up about it. And how far into your diagnosis was that? I would say about maybe five years into it, I started to become a little bit more aware of, hey, I should probably tell this story to my wife and kids of the battles that I have every single day. So they didn't know even by then? No, they did. I mean, they knew the, ba the, the battles that I had, but I never really went into depth. I didn't, I didn't let them know that I was having suicidal thoughts. I didn't let them know that... Um, you know, I had, I think Janine asked me at one time, promise me you'll never do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I said, I can't promise you mm. that that's a chemical imbalance that I, I can't promise that. I would love to, mm -hmm. uh, but I, you just never know. You know, triggers are unknown when it comes to things like this, like your friend in college. Mm -hmm. Could it have been COVID? Could it have been something else that happened in his life? Mm -hmm. um, I had one friend that was on a support group who during one of the support sessions said, I just got an IRS bill for $6,000. I don't know where that came from. I got a call him in the morning. That night he committed suicide. Wow. So, and I'm trying to get away from saying committed suicide because that is the old, um, it, when it was a crime. When suicide was a crime, that's yeah. what they said. So it. what's the terminology? So now it's taken his life. Yeah. He had taken his life. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So these triggers are coming from everywhere and... You yeah, know. you just never know. You never know what the trigger will be. Um... um so let's talk about the spiritual side of this. Yes. So you're obviously, you're a believer by the time that this uh, diagnosis came across? 
Is that right? That's true. Yes. Yep. I was I was a believer in November of 2000. Diagnosis was November of 2012. Mm-hmm. And so, what has that been like? Obviously, in terms of an encouragement and a strength, but are there any things that being a believer makes more difficult as you face this? Well, I think any time that you wake up in the morning and you have you feel like taking your life and you cry to God, like, why am I having this thought today? Maybe I had a long prayer session with him last night. You know, it's funny because I have this, and I know this is probably the wrong way to look at it, but I have this, God and I are buddies. That's, that's kind of how I feel. So maybe the night before, while I praise him, even in the darkest times, I may have to have an extra conversation with him like, dude, really? You're going to put me through this today after all we've been through? You're going to put this to me? Um, and then I wake up the next day, I'm either feeling fine or I'm still having issues, and the darkness is still there. The one thing is God never leaves me, and I have to remember that even in the emotionally charged times, mm-hmm. i got to know God is there. Mm-hmm. And coming out and being able to talk more about this information with my wife, family, friends, in support groups, I think keeps my eye focused on where it needs to be. In mm-hmm. we, we talk about all the time um, our faith being driven by facts rather than feelings. Yes. Um, what are they doing down there? I mean, they are tearing stuff down. A bunch of chumps have no idea how to. Sounds like a bomb went off. So, uh, but we, we talk about even with our kids, um, having their faith be driven by facts rather than feelings. Yes. <clears throat> and God gave us emotions, God gave us feelings, but they need to be in the proper place, right? And so somebody who's got this kind of a mental illness and is emotionally charged. Uh, how have you thought about that or facts versus feelings? How do you try to keep that in check? Do you yeah. agree with what I I'm do, saying? I 100% agree with that. And that's one of the struggles that you have sometimes is, is this real or is it not? Is it Satan in your head telling you you need to take your life? Is that really what's taking place? Has, you know, because you... It, it's really hard to explain because I have a lot of people say, just pray it away. Just completely pray it away. Yeah. And like it's only spiritual. Correct. Yeah. And there are times where, as I said earlier, I think doctors have to get involved. Yeah. Too. But that sometimes makes it a little worse because you're trying to distinguish facts from reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, or facts from not reality. And I believe that the battles that I have every day are Satan trying to get me to go against God. Mm-hmm. And if I keep that in mind, and if I keep that straight, then my eyes are always focused up and where mm-hmm. they need to be. Mm-hmm. And God will fight that battle for me. Mm-hmm. With me. Um, there are times, and I, I wrote a chapter about, uh, it was a real raw chapter where I was having a really rough day. I almost decided to keep it out. Um, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep it in there so people can really see and feel what a day like that feels like, where the darkness is so strong, you don't know if you're going to make it through the day or not. I think that one of the things that God has used to grow me as a believer has been people who have been transparent. And so I want to be a transparent person myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm not really, I don't have any deep, dark thing to be transparent about, like Joshua Broom, right, you know, right. a former porn star, yeah. or you um, that is like taboo in the Christian world. Um, but I want to be the kind of transparent that people have been to me because I know the impact that can have on people when you're just real and and just play your cards and don't try to hide anything or put up this image that's not real. And so you've obviously bought into that for yourself. I mean, to come out and talk about this the way that you are and include that chapter that you said you almost didn't. Yeah. Um, why do you do that? Yeah, it was... Uh... Um, what I started to notice was I had just a few people I had talked about that I had gone to church with, the struggles that I've had. And those people say, you know what, my son is going through the same thing. Or I've been having this for 20 years, and I don't know who to talk to about it. Uh, I don't want to go to the pastor about it, whatever the case is. Those little conversations led me to be more of, okay, I need to get my story out there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like God was leading me to do that anyway. Yeah. Because I was starting to journal my journey from my childhood to my diagnosis so that my wife and my kids could see that journey in full, things that I didn't talk about, 
Mm -hmm. And so maybe this is God's way of saying, Paul, you need to be more of a voice with this Mm -hmm. because people are coming to you now. Mm -hmm. I had one lady who had talked to me after church about her struggles for 20 years and evidently made some type of impact because the next week one of her friends came up and said, hey, I heard you talk to Mm -hmm. so-and-so and I wanted to let you know that I'm struggling with the same thing. Amazing amount of people started to come out and say, I don't know where to go talk about this. I don't, I don't know. Do I go to the pastor? Do I go to the elders? Do we get a support group together or the people that are struggling or have family members that are? That's what really opened the door for me to say, okay, Paul, it's time to swallow your pride and be a little more vulnerable with mm-hmm. this because there's just not enough discussion in the Christian community about mental health or mental illness. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, both are equally important. Both are equally, um, could be equally deadly when mm-hmm. it's all said and done. And you can tell when I, when I speak to churches about this, the uncomfort level with some people mm-hmm. because it's been taboo for so long mm-hmm. that people don't want to talk about it. It's been in the shadows way too long. Don't you think that's one of Satan's ploys? I do. Let, let's keep this quiet. Let's keep it in the dark. Let's keep it tab- taboo because once people start opening up about it and being transparent and vulnerable and authentic about it, then... The, the the stranglehold that the enemy has on people with this kind of stuff loosens a little bit. Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, a first step is to be able to, I would say, uh, ask the question, if you were in jail, you got taken to jail wrongly or otherwise, who's the first person you'd call? Who is that one phone call you'd make knowing that you have to swallow your pride, knowing that it's going to be embarrassing? Who's that call you would make? Well, that's the person that you need to speak with if you're struggling with mental illness. That is your first safe place to be. And then you expand from there. That's um, good practical advice. Yeah. yeah. It'd be my wife. It'd be my wife as well. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Um, talk about the title, A Walk with the Light in the Shadows. Why'd you pick that title? I didn't. God did. And let me tell you how God did. Um, it was the journey that I have had with him since my diagnosis. He is the light of my life. Um, and I feel like there are so many people in the Christian community that live their life in the shadows. They're afraid to step out and talk about mental health or mental health or mental illness. And so I want to share that light with others who are in the shadows and afraid to come out, showing that, you know, God's there for you. And um, that light can lead your path into hopefully getting the help that you need. Mm-hmm. Does your wife see a role in this in terms of walking with spouses of mental health uh, victims? Yes. Am I, I using the right terminology? Yeah, mental health, <laughs> mental illness yeah. sufferers? Yeah, she does. And she's done an outstanding job of doing her own research because imagine what it's like to be a family member of someone that has uh, a mental disorder. Imagine the uncertainty of what I'm gonna be like um, when I wake up each day. We were down doing the uh, author signings a little bit ago and um, I got about 45 minutes into it and I I didn't care about the book anymore. I didn't care about being there anymore. I just needed to get out. Mm -hmm. There was too much noise, too many people around me. Um, It's those types of things. She knew the right thing to say. She looked at her watch and go, hang in there 20 more minutes. Hang in there 15 more minutes. You're doing fine. You're doing great. So that encouragement, mm. you know, had she not been there, I would have packed up a long time ago and walked out. Mm-hmm. But she knows the right things to say and the right times to do it. And sometimes it's just giving me my space. She knows that signal too, mm-hmm. where I know she's there, but at that point, I, I really don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So she gives me my space. I may go in the bedroom and throw a ball game on. I may go in the bedroom and go to bed. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be a kind of a risque question for okay. me to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It. Um, because maybe somebody else listening is thinking this while I'm listening. And, and I'm thinking of my friend that killed himself. He, he ended up really, he, his marriage fell apart before that happened. And it was spiraling out of control. And years before but his wife was gracious to hold on to it and keep the family together. And do people who suffer from mental illness or mental health, is there, is there a threat of using that 
as a excuse for doing things that just shouldn't be done? Like, or for, you, you know what I mean? Can, can it become a cop out? Yeah, there's a couple things that you were talking earlier about. You just don't know what's real and what's not and people politicizing it or whatever the case is. You were talking about that a little bit ago. And in my mind, I was thinking, um, you know, I know people that say I need a mental health day. Yeah. Really? You need, or do you just need to go fishing for the day? I mean, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's hard sometimes, too. But, um, you know, there was a guy on an online support group that, and this is why part of the Joshua Broom interview uh, resonated with me. Because yeah, let me just say quick, and I think I might have said this already. Joshua Broom is a guy who I interviewed on this podcast, and Paul listened to that episode, and so he's referring to that episode, which you, if you're interested, can go back and listen to on this same podcast. I don't remember what episode number it is, but just go back. Joshua Broom, former porn star who became a Christian. Yeah. And go you, ahead. You have to go listen to it. Don't don't think about it. You need to go listen to it. But <laughs> there was a guy in one of the support groups that was addicted to pornography. And he kept saying, well, you know, they can't get my meds right. They can't get my meds right. They can't get uh, my meds right. Um, it's like, bro. It's time to do. Just take responsibility. You yeah, know what I mean? that's what I'm talking take about. Take the steps. That's take what the I'm step talking about. And take the responsibility. So, uh, how do you uh, how do you navigate that as somebody who who suffers with mental illness? Because some of it is mental illness related. Like, my wife gets the signal that I just need my space, versus I'm just being a cold jerk. Yeah, a lot of times, what you know in this support group that nobody really pulls punches either. So that's awesome. They'll say something to the effect of, well, then I guess you need to go get professional help. (laughs) Um, And that's really what it comes down to is if it's, if you feel like, and and it's not for you to judge, it's never for us to judge. Yeah. Yeah. But there are certain times where you just know they're excusing themselves out. We'll be supportive, but we'll also say, sounds like you need to get your meds changed. Mm. Or you need to go get you go get a different psychologist or mm-hmm. whatever the case is mm-hmm. because they are using it as an excuse for their life. Yeah. Um, and even in my even in my darkest times, um, I, I tried to not excuse my actions. Yeah. Even in my darkest times, um, I may cry out more. There's little reminders all over my kitchen where I sit and have coffee. Uh, and I've got a tattoo on my arm that reminds me that's in my wife's handwriting that says hope. Mm. Um, that kind of gives me those little, little reminders throughout the film. Yeah. yeah. Going back to that faith uh, being driven by facts over feelings. Um, you know, we have another podcast that's a sister podcast of this. It's called the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions. We're doing a Bible overview. We've done 730 some episodes from Genesis 1 and we're in the middle of Luke right now and uh, the idea behind that is to get people in scripture every day become biblically literate and just be in God's word because it is the ultimate fact right and so what role does God's word versus prayer or a support group or a great wife play in keeping you uh, battle ready? I think that's a great question because I find myself in the Word more, um, and I'm embarrassed to admit this sometimes, but I find myself in the Word more when I'm preparing for something like this conference or I'm preparing to go do a church speaking engagement. I find myself relying more there, but there are... uh, things like the daily bread Mm -hmm. where every morning as I have my cup of coffee, I'll read through what Mm -hmm. that day is. And then if there's something that particularly strikes me that day, I may take what I'm learned in there and take and pick up the Bible and read more Mm -hmm. about that to get better clarity or whatever Mm -hmm. the case is. I wish I could tell you that, um, a hundred percent of the time that I'm in the word every day, but I'm just not. Mm -hmm. There are days where, um, I say to God, help me with this battle today, Lord, and I pray and I pray and I pray, but then I, it's kind of like when I need to get away and I don't need people talking to me. I don't need God talking to me at that point either. Mm. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And you try to you kind of make yourself do that. But I may read just a little bit of the daily bread and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't need to listen to God anymore for right now. I got mm. other things that I need to battle with. This mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, let's talk more about the spiritual side of this. Like we were talking before we hit record on this thing. What is, what's the spiritual realm? What's going on in the spiritual realm as you and other people who struggle with mental health and, and to just kind of set this up or kind of take you back to what we were talking about before we hit record. I mean, when you read through the New Testament, there are people who have physical ailments that are clearly because of demonic activity. Yes. Same with mental ailments. Um, but I don't think, so, so we have to at least have room, I think, in our view of the world that it could be related to that. I don't think we necessarily have to say every physical ailment or every mental ailment is because someone's demon oppressed or demon possessed or something. But what are your thoughts about all that? Yeah, I, I think we talked about this a little bit too, that um, your listeners don't know me from Adam, but I can tell you with all certainty that the demonic voices are real. And they try to, whether it's Satan or whether it's one of his soldiers, they try to get you to get as far away from God as possible. Mm. And for people that don't have faith, people that don't have that rock to stand on when you have God in your life, maybe those people that um, take that next step, that trigger that takes them to a final destination. The way I look at it is those people are going to go to hell, right? Um, and you look at it in the Bible where... You know, God, Jesus says in there that uh, no sin, you, you are a child of God no matter what. And If you put your faith in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, you're yep. a child of God. And I've had people say, well, what about suicide? Mm-hmm. Right? And if you're, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, um, God has battled with you the whole way. Mm-hmm. And there has been a trigger that you can't overcome. And if you're a Christian and you believe in Christ... Whether you take your life or not, I still believe that you end up in the glory of heaven. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I, I was able to, with a couple other friends, read my college buddies' journals. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know any man's heart. You know what I mean? So I can't make a judgment. But, man, based on what I read, stuff that he wrote very recently to the time when he died... I think we're going to see him in heaven because he, he had a legitimate, genuine faith and a crazy mental illness. And it's very easy to believe that in a moment of darkness, he made a stupid decision um, that he couldn't reverse. And, you know, back in the day, it was like, if you commit suicide, you're going to hell. That's just the way it is. Yeah. They bury suicide people in old-time cemeteries, like in a different part of the cemetery. Because, like, they can't be with the faithful people. Never mind that the quote-unquote faithful people, (laughs) about 90% of them didn't know Christ either. But but they showed up at church and didn't kill themselves. So they got to be in the normal cemetery. Um, It's really dicey to talk about, though, because... It's almost like you're giving somebody who is suicidal and a Christian a good excuse or taking away a good reason to not do it. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. And I'm not excusing it away. You know, I've had uh, two very close Christian friends that took their own life. Um, They got to a point in their life where the hopelessness, the voices just got to be too much. And one of the particular ones um, was trying so hard to not let that happen. And she was praying, and she, in her heart, was a, was a devout Christian, and she loved the Lord with all of her heart. And her and I had uh, conversations because we were both bipolar. So we could bounce things off of each other, and this is what I'm feeling today. And, um, she went to um, some family's house in another state, and that was it. She got away from she. The demon stopped. Let's just put it that way. Mm. I'm not excusing away that that happens. Um, the devastation that it brings to others in your life. But I understand. Mm-hmm. I completely understand where the demons are so loud. You feel like there's no other hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the last thing I ever want to do is green like this. Yeah, uh, this of course. Feeling. But uh, I truly believe in my heart that she's in. She's in. Mm-hmm. Even though she followed through, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, suicide is no question a sin. Correct. But our sins are covered so if we is, know Christ. So is stealing. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think, now I'm going to say, well, I guess I won't swear, but I'm gonna. you're going to know what I'm thinking. <laughs> um, I remember thinking, if you have to be forgiven, you know, like you need to confess your sins. I always thought you got to keep your slate clean. And so like every night you pray and you confess your sins, but what happens, and, and for whatever reason, as a young man, a young boy, I concocted this idea in my head, what if I'm in an airplane and it's crashing and the last thing I do is just scream the S word? <laughs> like, but I won't have time to confess that sin and so then am I lost? Well, that's such a juvenile question, but you know, I was wrestling with this idea. Sure. What do we do with the sin that is still on our slate when we die. Well, what I learned was that my theology was bad and there is no sin on my slate when, when I know Christ. Now, it's still good to confess my sin as it happens and repent from it, but it's covered, man. All my sin. Agreed. Even the stuff that I don't know that I'm doing that's sinful and even the stuff that if I have a heart attack right now and the last thing I did before that was sin, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's and funny. this fits in that category. Right. And part of my prayer um, is forgive me for the sins of my thoughts, my actions, and my words. And I, when you say, I do it every time, every single time. But then you think back, you're like, I didn't do anything simple today as far as my actions go. It's not like I went and cheated on my wife or something. It's just weird. <laughs> but I, I'm the same way. I feel like that covers my bases, my thoughts, my actions, and my words. Mm -hmm. You know, forgive me for those sins. It's just something that I do myself, uh, especially at night, because God forbid I don't wake up the next day. I want to be in the glory of in the presence yeah. of God. But I mean, that stuff's forgiven whether you it ask is. for forgiveness today or not. Because right. yeah. you were forgiven the day that you put your faith in Christ. Correct. We got to get our theology straight. We do. <laughs> we absolutely do. Um, are nights harder than days? Um, yes. Being tired, extremely tired, is hard. Um, especially if you can't shut your mind off, you want to go to sleep, but you can't go to sleep. Some good medication will take care of that. But there are times even medication doesn't help. Um, I do find myself that, yeah, nighttime's difficult. Um, you know, I'm, I'm man enough to admit that sometimes I cry myself to sleep mm -hmm. um, because I'm trying to figure everything out. I keep telling people keep telling me quit trying to figure out it just is right. You're not going to change yeah. it. You're on medication for it. It just is, mm -hmm. but that's hard to do. Yeah. You want to try to what happened today to cause these feelings. As we wrap this up, what do you, what do you want to happen with this book and how can people get a hold of it? Yeah. So, um, my, I have two things in this book that I want to accomplish. So anyone that's written a book, unless you're Tom Clancy. But anyone that's <laughs> written a book knows you're not in it to make money. And as a matter of fact, when I sell my book, a percentage of the proceeds from that book go to Christian organizations. Um, I've done it for my church. We have a camp in Central Illinois called Faith Bible Camp in Yates City, Illinois. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to look, go look it up. It's a super cool camp. My wife just got back from Romania from a missions trip from that camp. Cool. Um, so my whole purpose in this book is two things. I hope someone finds Christ through this book. Mm. I hope someone that's a non-believer can look at it and, and accept Christ mm. during this book. Awesome. The second thing is I put reflective questions at the end of each chapter. And the reason that I did that is even if it's them writing down maybe feelings that they're having or writing down, they're structured well enough to say, my husband, I see that in my husband type of thing. Start that discussion. Call that person that if you're in jail, who are you going to talk to? So you've written this down, now what are you going to do with it, right? So I want people to be able to have those discussions, those conversations, that vulnerability that needs to be there to be able to say, I need help, or here's what I struggle with, or I've had these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that systematically, one person at a time, mm -hmm. it doesn't become so taboo in the church environment, in the Christian community. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Paul, I appreciate your time. I think it's great that you're talking about this. Um, and just let me say a prayer for this book yes. before we sign off. Is yes. that cool? Yes. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thanks for this conversation. And just like Paul said for his book, I, I pray that somebody would be touched by this uh, and somebody would 
reach out and pick his book up, share it with a friend, be encouraged by it, somebody who suffers from mental health or mental illness, a spouse of somebody, the child of somebody, the parent of somebody. And uh, I'm going to agree with Paul's prayer that, that somebody, and I'd say many somebodies, would come to faith in you because of what they read in this book. It's their first exposure to the gospel or the first time they understand it, they'd accept Christ and uh, become his child, have their sins forgiven. And then um, we just pray for much encouragement and much kingdom impact to come from this book, from this conversation, that people can be more comfortable and confident sharing their story and sharing their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities so that Satan has less of a stranglehold on kind of the secrets in the darkness. They can walk in the light. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If um, someone wants a copy of the book and they can't afford it, my website is awalkwiththelight.com. There's an email out there that you can email me. I would be more than happy to send you a copy of it. Awalkwiththelight.com? Correct. Um, the book's available on Amazon too, but I've had a few people say, I'll wait till next payday and I'll, get, I'll pay you then. I'm like, no, I'll give you the book now. So if someone doesn't have the money at this point, please contact me through the website. I will make sure you get a book. Awesome. Paul, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Appreciate it. Janine, good to meet you. Thank you. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.